This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, how you doing today? As promised, we are starting our expert series and we always start Monday hot with Mr. Greg Dickerson. How you doing, sir? Doing great, Michael. Good start, good finish. There you go, buddy. Hey, so first and foremost, I always appreciate the fact that you make time for this channel. Uh, you're obviously on the road doing lots and lots of things. So first off, Thank you for pulling over, having a quick conversation with me and our audience. Uh, much appreciated. Yep, absolutely, man. I just, uh, you know, keep doing what I do. And, you know, that's that's the mobile office of the future, right? There you go. There you go. Well, hey, one of the things I want to talk about, because, again, you're my expert in the series Monday through Friday, that's a developer, a builder, a visionary, frankly, right? You see dirt and you have the ability to envision what an end product looks like. I want to go back mm -hmm. to a conversation I think we had last week. It might have been the week before that I think is going to be market moving and investable if you understand how to play that. And that is builders, you know, Lennar, Pulte and the like, plus all the ones that aren't public might actually become, I don't know, feeders for Wall Street hedge funds, pension funds by developing neighborhoods as build for rent. I think this is a topic we are going to hear a lot more about in the next couple of years. What do you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's getting more and more popular. It makes more and more sense. I think it's a good thing. I know a lot of people may agree or disagree with that, but I think you know quality um, single family for rent homes are just as valuable and needed as you know primary residences for people that want to own their homes. Yeah, I think I think what's happening now is I think I think every crisis has a chance to change behavior. Uh, of the crisis that I've invested through in the last thirty years, this is the first that I think has been long enough to change behavior. And I mm -hmm. think one of the behavior changes is more and more people are going to say space is good. So when in doubt, they're going to say I would rather have a house. Right? They want the yeah. backyard, the garage, whatever. Well, and you've got, you know, the bulk of the buyers right now, the biggest portion of the market of home buyers, it's millennials. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that they're having kids, they need the yard, exactly what you said, you know, in suburban America, if they're not living in cities and, you know, they don't want to live in an apartment or townhouse or something like that, they want the single family with a yard, you know, that kind of thing. So um, that's what's driving a lot of the demand right now. It's record low interest rates. So in most markets, if you're paying 20 or 30% more for a house, it actually works out better in the long run than paying less and having a higher interest rate over a 30-year uh, amortization schedule, which is really mind-boggling. But when you do the math, yeah, do the math. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's all yeah. about the payments. And I, I don't think most of the millennials are worried uh, necessarily if their houses drop, you know, 30 or 40 percent. It's it's a really interesting mindset versus like you and me. You know, we think about value, we think about equity, whereas millennials they're thinking about payment and they're thinking about you know I want a yard to raise my kid. I don't care what the price is or value is. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what we're at an interesting point, right? Have you traveled to Europe much? I, I know it's kind of a tangent. Have you been in Europe a bunch? 
you know, a little bit, uh, not, not a ton. Yeah. So I, I did a lot of work in Europe. Um, again, uh, when I was running sales teams and you had worldwide responsibilities, I remember several countries, I want to say Switzerland or Finland. I could be wrong. My memory's fuzzy, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, but there were several countries in Europe where home ownership, right? What you and I know is a stick built home. Yeah. Is predominantly owned by insurance companies, right? It was something like 70% of homes were rented, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember thinking about that going, that can't be right. Cause we're used to the other way, right? 68% homeowners, 32% renters, but there are many, many, many countries in Europe where it's the other way. And, and I think we might be on a path, right? If, if we have new construction, we have inflation in materials and lumber and all of that. Uh, the prices rise. That pulls existing homes up. Just it's how it works. Mm-hmm. It can get to a point where, you know, then you have interest rates rise in a year or so. It could get to a point where our affordability crashes and the right option becomes rent, right? There's a lot of parts in the country today, even after price increases, where it makes more sense to buy than rent. That equation could very quickly flip in most of the country where renting is a better option than, than owning. Uh, we, we could be heading that direction. Well, you know, yeah, financially, and we've done the math where if you put, you know, 20% down, you factor taxes, insurance, maintenance, you know, all of that stuff at the end of the day, um, you know, a home that generally appreciates, you know, 10% a year, it's not a great investment. You're actually going to lose money, but it's a forced savings account. Yeah. you know, for a lot of people. And I use my mom as an example. She watches this show, by the way, loves it. And, oh. uh, you know, yeah. So anyways, you know, she sold her house just recently and, you know, walked away with, you know, $250,000 after 20 something years, wow. you know, so it sounds like a great profit, you know, in terms of what she bought it for, bought it for 250, sold it for 500. Of course, the market is unique right now. Mm. Under normal circumstances, she probably would have sold in the fours, low fours, but it sold in the low fives because of what's going on right now in the area she's in. So at the end of the day, when you factor in what she put down, all the money they spent maintaining it, all the money they spent on taxes, insurance, you know, all that other stuff, and you spread that 250000 that she made over that 20-some year period, ain't yeah. a lot of money. When yeah. you could have taken that same amount, put it into an index fund, mm. it probably would be worth a lot more now, arguably. I don't know. I haven't done the spreadsheet on it, but... yeah. I still think for most people, I think was where you were going, the forced savings. I think the property, I, mm-hmm. I want more people on the property ladder, right? I think being a renter nation where it's 70% rentals and 30% owners, I, I'm just going to say it. I think that's bad, right? That's, that's not an environment that I hope we ever get to. I just want to get that on record. Uh, so I think getting on the property ladder is important, but it, it could get really unaffordable because I'm just envisioning builders, right? they're already not building enough, right? We already have undersupply and, you know, all of those things of new houses. If they chunk out 20% or 30% or whatever number it is of their capacity, because they only have so much lumber, so many skilled resources, it's just a math problem. And if they just start saying, hey, we're going to take a third of our company and you go build for Wall Street. And oh, by the way, we'll still do individual sales with the other 67%. Man, prices are going to go up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's compressed right now. And, you know, the interesting thing you said, you, you don't know, well, you don't think a renter, you know, housing mm-hmm. stock is better than owning. And I would ask why. Yeah. Why is 
why is renting a bad thing versus owning? So why is that yeah. number one? Yeah. And you know, yeah. so number let's talk two, about you got to think about where we are. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Let's talk why about do you that. think it's bad versus, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's certainly, I'm biased with my personal opinion, a lot like your mom's situation. My mom was in the same situation. Uh, you know, she bought a house in Sunnyvale, California. She always gets mad at me because I always get the number wrong because she watches this show too. I'm going to call it 25 yeah. grand for, you know, it's somewhere around there. And so that was in 78 or 79. She sold it for a million bucks flat um, mm -hmm. in 19, no, in 2000, I don't know, four, three, something like that before this run up. And again, she, she can now live comfortably the rest of her life, uh, thankfully. Uh, no chance in hell she does that if that doesn't happen, right? So the forced savings is, is going to help my mom or is helping my mom, is going to help your mom. And I just see that and go, I wish more people had that, right? Get in your mm -hmm. home, make it your forever home, live there, pay it off. And, you know, when the time's right, when you kids are out, you've, you've left your work, you've retired, you want to go live somewhere else. My mom chose to live uh, in the hills of California and, you know, thankfully she's got enough to enjoy the rest of her life happily. And without owning yeah. a home, she was a renter, no chance. She would be, oh man, she'd be in, she'd be hurting right now. So that's, that's why I, I just think that forced savings account every month is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, you know, and that's the whole philosophy. You have to live somewhere mm -hmm. and you, you know, whether you're renting or owning. So at the end of the day, you know, if you've made your payments over 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is, you end up owning that asset free and clear, you know, uh, at the end of that period, then yeah, that's great. It, but it, that's what it basically equates to. So the real question is, for some people that may be better for others, mm. it may be better to use the money to invest sure. versus spending it on your primary residence. And then what's the outcome of that if you, you know, index fund, you know, things mm. like that, look at that investment over the long period. But you know, most people don't have that type of discipline. They don't have, you know, the ability to be able to do that because you're taken away from income where, you know, if you're making a house payment, you're making a house payment, you know? And yeah, for me, it's just appreciated the consumer, right? I've been studying the consumer since I was getting my econ degree in college, which was over three decades ago. And the consumer and consumer psychology is very repeatable and predictable. For example, mm -hmm. you take two individuals, our moms, and, you know, let's just say one, one bought a house and the other rented. You go forward, you know, they get to some point, one was index funds, one was a house. But in reality, what's going to happen is life's going to happen, right? Yeah. Your, their kids go to college. You know, their kids do this. Somebody gets sick. It is so much easier for somebody to look at their trading account and go, hey, I need to help Susie or Mark or, you know, whoever. And I'm going to pull off some money, right? They, they just, it's almost too liquid right? A yeah. house is not that liquid. Yes, you can go get a second or an equity line if you had to, and my parents yeah. did, but it's harder, right? You don't sell it and you don't sell it at the wrong time, right? Again, think about individuals and consumers, right? Stock market runs up crazy high and then crashes 40%. And then your 401k becomes a 201k or whatever the jokes come. The consumer psychology, when it's cash or close to cash, they often make bad decisions at the wrong time right it's 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 emotional yeah emotional and all of this yeah exactly and then all of this that we're talking about is all relative to good times your mom mm. sold at a good time with with unbelievable appreciation that you'll probably never see again mm -hmm. so did my mom 
you know, my mom's mom, same thing. They bought their house for, I don't know, six or $10,000, lived in it for 50 years or however long it was until she, you know, moved in with my mom, but they sold that house and that sustained her and her medical yeah. care the rest, rest of her life because they owned it. But what about 2008 and nine? You know, what if you had to sell in 2009 and many people did, mm -hmm. you lost all your equity. Oh, you sure. know, so it's only good when housing is good and housing doesn't always and forever go up. Oh, no question. Oftentimes it goes, it goes down and it comes back. So this, this whole idea that we're talking about equity can be wiped out. Now, no values in most areas went to zero. Some areas they did, but you know, mm -hmm. obviously that that's not a, a widespread thing. Mm -hmm. So at some, at some point, the house should still be worth something at the end of the day, if it's well-maintained and all that. But a lot of cases, you know, people's equity got wiped out in 0809 and it took mm -hmm. until really, what is this, 2021? It was really 2019 before values got back anywhere near they were, sure. where they were before, you know, that 09 happened. Yeah. And no. now we're in a very artificially inflated environment you know, and, and the demand on construction. So construction makes sense when it's cheaper to build than it is to buy. Yep. Now we're getting to a point and it, they're only building now because of the slope. Generally, there was still plenty of resales when construction was booming. It was just cheaper to build. Mm. Now it's more expensive to build or, or right at the same as it is to buy, but there's no inventory. So it makes a lot of sense to build. Mm -hmm. Eventually this is going to, this is going to, you know, level out construction costs will come back down yeah. housing costs will come back to earth you know supply chain you know supply will increase and, and these things will change so this is a short-lived kind of thing that we're going through right now so you know 20 years from now 30 years from now and even right now <clears throat> you know does it work the same way yeah. with what you're paying for a house yeah no that's all it's all good um but again, when I think about back to the sort of topic on this one is, is new construction becoming a, a yeah. model for builders. It's, I think it's just, uh, for whatever reason, it just feels like a perfect marriage, right? We got a bunch of builders that would love to streamline the build process, less variables. They would love to know the end buyer wants to buy all of them versus one. And then we got Wall Street over here hungry for an asset with yield. And right now, apartments don't and this don't and that don't. I'm just... I don't know if I want to say nervous, maybe overthinking it, that we could see 30, 25 to 30% of new housing construction sort of come off the market, right? Not that it's not going to be built. It will be built, but it won't be built for the intention of home ownership. It'll be built for some stream of income on Wall Street. Could it ever get that big, you think? Yeah, you know, <laughs> potentially. Uh, you know, if you look at you know, the percentage of homes that were bought during the financial crisis and mm -hmm. what, what percentage of the housing stock did that represent? I don't really know. Was it 5%, 10%, but you know, it's getting more and more popular, more and more developers are doing major communities with thousands of homes yeah. that are for rent only. Mm -hmm. So it is something that's becoming more popular and it, you know, it does make sense, but is it, is it enough to really make a dent in the housing stock of the, of the country? I, you know, I don't think so. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of houses out there. Yeah, no, I don't think it, I, yeah, the impact on existing homes or the housing stock, I think, is to inflate the price even more. But because I do see late this year, maybe in the next year, where more and more builders test the model and they're like, yeah. damn, that works. Because again, the few that I've read about, and I've been actively searching this for a couple of weeks now, their profit margins are 50% higher because they can streamline costs, they remove variables, it's faster, right? They don't have all these yeah. change, you know, change orders. And oh, by the way, they're getting bidding wars for the, the end product. So 
it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it so. makes it makes a lot of sense. I think you know, as as that appetite increases, more builders will be incentivized. It is yeah. an easier business model, um, you know, to transition to, uh, especially if the profit margins are there. Because a lot of these companies you're talking about are public companies, and when the shareholders see, you know, what's happening, you know, where the profit is, they'll shift their business model real quick mm-hmm. and, and stick to it. The biggest challenge they have is land. You yes. know, that's that's your biggest challenge in the whole equation of all of this. There's huge demand right now. There's a very unique environment right now. So it takes a year to two years to five years to build out anything that's significant, a, a year to two years to get it approved, then, you know, three to five years to get it actually vertical, built, you know, leased up, ready for an institutional investor to buy that thing yeah. for anything large. So where are we going to be in three to five years? That's a good point. Who knows? That's and are these institutions going to have the money available to them that they have now? They got well, so much money right now. They're just yeah. throwing it at anything. Yeah. So I think that, I think the institution has the money, but, but to your point, right. Three years is an eternity in wall street and there yeah. could absolutely be three, four, five, six other assets with better cap rates in three years. Is there a better one today? Not according to my research, but three years from now, I mean, they could all be buying distressed hotels and office buildings and converting malls. Who knows? Cause uh, wall street doesn't care. They wall street doesn't care about, single family homes or apartments or any of this, they're just chasing the maximum return. So again, consumer behavior yeah. is predictable. So, uh, well, and the key is they buy finished products, so they're not developers. Yes. Oh, so, yes. so that is going to be your limiting factor. How quickly can, can these things be brought online? How much land is available to develop or redevelop? And there's still plenty of land out there. The question is how sustainable is the model in the long run? how big of an appetite is there? Cause everything reaches its diminishing return, right? Everything reaches its limit. So, I mean, what is the real absorption rate of rental units? If every house in the, in the country all of a sudden became a rental unit, well, you know, I guess you wouldn't have any choice, but you'd have to rent. But the question is, what is the appetite for, you know, owning versus renting? Mm-hmm. So there's only so much that people are going to want to do. Cause like you said, you know, owning a house is still great for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's not going to change, yeah. you know, and the government's mm-hmm. not going to step in and change that the government is wanting to incentivize more and more homeownership because of what you said for savings. The government mm-hmm. realizes we get people that own their, own their homes. We don't have to take care of them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Good job. Shout out both our moms for doing the right things. Congrats. Congratulations, moms. Yeah. Yours hit a major home run, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. She got lucky, but that's okay. She, she still, she spends the money just fine. <laughs> yeah. Now mine, my mom, that was a culmination of them rolling forward into houses over their entire life. So ah. yeah, this, this came at a 20 year, her last house was 20 years, but you know, it's after 60 years of owning homes, buying one, selling, taking that money, ah. rolling it into the next, rolling it into the next. That's what they did. Yeah. Their we, whole lives. Once, once my parents owned, we rented for a little bit. I, it was so, I was young. I don't remember at all. Uh, but yeah, they, once we, once they bought, they fought tooth and nail to keep it through very, some very tough times and uh, yeah, it paid off. So uh, this has been a fun conversation. I look forward to the next one. Thanks. Yep.